0: It's Monday, February 24th. I'm your host, Jason Moser. and It's just me here in the studio for the first half of today's financial show. The second half of the show, our own Matt Frankel has a good interview lined up for you. But before we get to that, I wanted to take just a few minutes and highlight five of my favorite passages from Warren Buffett's most recent shareholder letter. If you listen to this show, then chances are better than not that you knew the most recent installment of the Berkshire Hathaway shareholder letter dropped on Saturday morning. I'll tell you, I've read a lot of them, and I think actually all of them that are listed on the site there going back to 1977. And these letters are always a fun little read, but we're also to the point, I think, where, you know, sure, they're maybe a little bit redundant, they're a little repetitive. He's not really uncovering a lot of new and uncharted territory, but they're still fun to read nonetheless. I do think that, like most things, though, if if we want to excel at something, if you don't practice, then you don't get better. And investing is no different. It's just trying to figure out what and how to practice. Uh, so, some of you may know, I was a PGA Club professional for several uh, several years before I found The Motley Fool. Um, and, and I taught a lot of golf. And, and most of what I taught Boiled down to three fundamentals and grip, aim, and setup. And that formed the clever acronym of GAS. And we got plenty of good fart jokes in the junior clinics uh, with that one, as you can imagine. But really, it all boiled down to teaching this pre swing stuff, these fundamentals, this idea that if you aren't doing this stuff correctly, then your chances of actually hitting the golf ball where you want it to go are pretty slim. So it's all about setting yourself up for success. Investing is very much the same thing. I view reading these letters. As a way of practicing the fundamentals. And it's not just Buffett's letters. I mean, you look at Tom Gaynor with Markell uh, or Jeff Bezos with Amazon, Jamie Dimon with JP Morgan, and there are more out there. But this is how we can work on our grip, aim, and setup. This is how we can work on our fundamentals as investors and remind ourselves of some of those obvious things, some of those things we maybe take for granted or forget. Uh, so without further ado, here are five of my favorite passages from this year's. Berkshire Hathaway shareholder letter. Number one, it's difficult to understand why retained earnings were unappreciated by investors before Smith's book was published. After all, it was no secret that mind boggling wealth had earlier been amassed by such titans as Carnegie, Rockefeller, and Ford, all of whom had retained a huge portion of their business earnings to fund growth and produce ever-greater profits. Throughout America, also, there had been long been small-time capitalists who became rich following the same playbook. Nevertheless, when business ownership was sliced into small pieces, stocks, buyers in the pre-Smith years usually thought of their shares as a short-term gamble on market movements. Even at their best, stocks were considered speculations gentlemen preferred bonds. Though investors were slow to wise up, the math of retaining and reinvesting earnings is now well understood. Today, schoolchildren learn what Keynes termed novel, combining savings with compound interest, works wonders. And that struck me just because we invest in these businesses, and these businesses are also led by investors. How they allocate capital matters. And it's one of those things that we look to these uh, leadership teams, whether they're buying back shares, or paying dividends, or retaining those earnings and growing the business out. Um, I thought that was just a really uh, neat passage to remind us of that. And also, uh, the value in, in compound interest. We can never really forget that. And whether it's a savings account, or whether it's uh, these, these companies uh, reinvesting their earnings and growing the business, compound interest uh, can, can really uh, work wonders, as, as Mr. Buffett said there. Quote number two, passage number two. In reviewing my uneven record, I've concluded that acquisitions are similar to marriage. (laughs) They start, of course, with a joyful wedding, but then reality tends to diverge from prenuptial expectations. Sometimes wonderfully, the new union delivers bliss beyond either party's hopes. In other cases, disillusionment is swift. Applying those images to corporate acquisitions, I'd have to say it's usually the buyer who encounters unpleasant surprises, it's easy to get dreamy-eyed during corporate courtships. And I think this really does speak for itself. We talk all the time about these mergers and acquisitions and I mean, in some cases they 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 look terrific. In other cases, you kind of wonder what exactly is going on here. It doesn't always make sense. Um, I'm just trying to figure out who the buyer was in my marriage because I, I feel like uh, you know I got <laughs> I got the good end of that deal. So hopefully, uh, my wife has not encountered too many unpleasant surprises. Passage number three. Mistakes in assessing insurance risks can be huge and can take many years, even decades, to surface and ripen. Think asbestos. A major catastrophe that will dwarf hurricanes Katrina and Michael will occur, perhaps tomorrow, perhaps many decades from now. The big one may come from a traditional source, such as wind or earthquake, or it may be a total surprise involving, say, a cyber attack having disastrous consequences beyond anything insurers now contemplate. When such a mega catastrophe strikes, Berkshire will get its share of the losses and they will be big, very big. Unlike many other insurers, however, handling the loss will not come close to straining our resources and we will be eager to add to our business the next day. Uh, you know, this kind of goes back to what Berkshire Hathaway is always, uh, why Berkshire has always been such a steady investment. We know that they're in the business of writing good business and not chasing business. Um, and in insurance, particularly, that matters a lot. Uh, it's, it's important to remember to be prepared. It's important to remember that quality matters. It's important to remember you need to diversify. Uh, and, and I think, in investing, it's always understanding it's a matter of when and not if. You know These losses will happen, it's just a matter of when. Uh, but regardless, uh, Buffett feels like he's got the business in a place where they'll pre- be prepared for it regardless. And, and I think um, Markel is another great example of, of, a, of an insurer that operates in, in that, that same vein. Uh, one of the reasons why we uh, like that investment so much as well. Uh, passage number 4. Charlie and I do not view the $248 billion detailed above as a collection of stock market wagers, dalliances to be terminated because of downgrades by the street and earnings miss, expected Federal Reserve actions, possible political developments, forecasts by economists, or whatever else might be the subject du jour. And that was in reference to their stock holdings there in the Berkshire Hathaway portfolio. Very foolish, very much in line with the type of investing that we espouse here. We don't view these stocks as just stocks. They're businesses that we're owners of, and they're businesses that we plan to hold for many years, if not indefinitely. And there's always going to be something. You know, and if you listen to everything, then it would probably keep you on the sidelines. But reality applies; uh, it really does apply today when you look at something like uh, the coronavirus. I mean, coronavirus really is kind of the subject du jour. So I think it was a uh, very fitting timing there. Before that, you know, hey, it was the China trade uh, deal, and then so on and so on. So always, always worth remembering that um, these investments we're making are are, are for the long haul. Passage number five, forecasting interest rates has never been our game, and Charlie and I have no idea what rates will average over the next year, or 10, or 30 years. Our perhaps jaundiced view is that the pundits who opine on these subjects reveal by that very behavior far more about themselves than they reveal about the future. What we can say is that if something close to current rates should prevail over the coming decades, and if corporate tax rates also remain near the low level businesses now enjoy, it's almost certain that equities will over time perform far better than long term fixed rate debt instruments. Uh, you know, maybe that just means you want to stay invested? Again, we can sit here and kick around the ideas of where interest rates may go and what the economic picture may look like next year or five years from now. Um, it's impossible to predict that, but if we can take a set of assumptions and look at how things might work out under that set of assumptions, that can give you a better idea of uh, of what the future may hold. Uh, and then, utilizing those Foolish investing principles, taking the long view, diversifying, etc., etc., you know, I think uh, I think that's a pretty telling a pretty telling quote there. I like the fact that they're not really into to forecasting all that stuff. Okay, thanks for indulging me there. I thought that was a fun read. I wanted to call out a few passages that just stuck with me there. Before we get to Matt's interview, we just want to remind listeners that if you're looking for more stock ideas and recommendations, check out our Stock Advisor service. You'll get stock recommendations from David and Tom Gardner every month, Best Buys Now, and a whole lot more. Just go to if.fool.com, and we've got a special 50% discount for our listeners. Check it out at if.fool.com. Okay, let's get to the interview. Marcos Rosenberg is the head of U.S. deposits with Marcus by Goldman Sachs. Recently, Matt Frankel spoke with Marcos about the company's strategy behind Marcus, the importance of reaching a younger audience, and a whole lot more. We hope you enjoy their conversation.
1: I'm joined now by Marcos Rosenberg, uh, head of U.S. deposits at Marcus, a division of Goldman Sachs. Marcus, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: It's a pleasure being here with you today, Matt.
1: So your name is Marcos from Marcus. Um, is, that, is that a coincidence?
2: Uh, it's just a pure coincidence. My <laughs> name is spelled with an O, Marcos, and uh, the uh, Marcus by Goldman Sachs spelled with a U. Uh, we have a lot of fun during meetings, you know, just around that uh, Marcus by Goldman Sachs. Marcus was the uh, you know first name of uh, Mister, you know, Goldman, and uh, it's just you know pure coincidence. Same name, different spelling.
1: <laughs> well, thank you for clearing that up. Um, so, your savings platform has grown pretty pretty impressively since you introduced it. I know a lot of it was due to an acquisition, but a lot of it's just been organic growth. So, kind of tell us about a bit about the growth so far and how how you've been so successful with with everything.
2: The acquisition gave us a place to start. Um, The growth um, has come uh, directly uh, from the work that has been done uh, post-acquisition. We are incredibly customer-centric. We've listened to more than 100,000 people to tell us about their experiences with money, and uh, we've designed our products to truly uh, be on the customer side. So our priority and what we've been working um, and spending our energy on is to simplify the customer journey, to remove friction points, and overall to improve the digital experience. Um, and that's what uh, we believe uh, has been propelling our growth, alongside the uh, brand. Um, Goldman Sachs is a very strong brand, and uh, the uh, bridge of utilizing Marcus uh, by Goldman Sachs uh, has uh, proven to be very, very effective and. Uh, you know, consumers are taking action, and they're resonating uh, very well with the brand and with the offering. We uh, we feel, um, you know, v- very very satisfied.
1: So, could you uh, just kind of clarify what some of the some of the pain points you've addressed? I know customer service is a big one. Like, what makes your customer service different than than the com- competition?
2: Well. I think there are a number of things that uh, consumers need to be thinking about when they uh, decide who they want to engage in a relationship. Because at the end of the day, you know, money is something uh, very personal, and uh, picking a financial institution is a very personal decision as well. So there are four key things that I believe your uh, audience, your listeners, um, uh, are already thinking about, uh, maybe uh, um, unconsciously, right? One is experience. Getting with an institution and interacting with an institution that has experience. So, uh, for example, with Marcus by Goldman Sachs, Goldman Sachs has been around by 150 years, so there's deep, deep financial expertise uh, there. An institution that's safe and that's trusted. Um, as you know, we offer savings accounts and CVs, or FVAC insured, and we also pay a lot of attention around security. We use multi-factor authentication, SSL encryption, firewalls, and, and other safeguards. Um, value would be the third thing um, that I that I believe is very important uh, for consumers to be thinking about. Um, in our case, we offer a free app that gives customers you know, an easy way to transfer funds, to manage accounts, to track transfers. There's also a resource section uh, on our website and on the app as well that has a lot of information about everyday financial questions and everyday financial challenges, and which is part of the value that we we'll bring to the table. And last but not least is accessibility, right? In our case, we're here uh, seven days um, a week to take a call so you can talk to a human um, you know, directly because sometimes it's necessary either as a confirmation or a clarified doubt or a question And we're seven through our digital offerings, be it on the web um, or through the app. So all those things are very, very important. And around value, since we're talking about savings and CDs specifically, rates are important, and uh, we offer four times the national
1: average. Excellent. So you just mentioned interest rates. Um, Since last time we had, um, had Marcus on the podcast, Interest rates have fallen considerably, and there have been a, num- a numerous uh, Federal Reserve rate cuts, and that's kind of trickled down to your platform as well. Have you noticed that affect demand for your product at all?
2: Well, we offer a variety of savings options uh, to help customers make most out of their money, regardless of which part of the interest rate cycle uh, we're at. We offer fixed-rate options uh, in the form of certificates of deposits, And variable rate products, as you know, in the form of uh, savings accounts. As I mentioned earlier, we offer four times the national average of our online savings account and uh, we have every intention uh, to continue to offer highly competitive rates regardless of, you know, where the uh, interest rate environment, broadly speaking, um, is at.
1: Okay, fair enough. Um, So, Interest rates are obviously a big differentiator. Um, Your brand name, you mentioned, is a big differentiator. And there's a bunch of things you've done to address consumer pain points. But there's also a lot of competition in your industry. I know in the past few years alone, a lot of institutions have popped up with online savings accounts. So do you view this as kind of a a market that's getting crowded, or is there room for everybody to grow? Uh,
2: We believe that competition uh, is good it provides more options to consumers and consumers to explore their options to make sure that they're saving with a partner who truly has their best interest in mind and that offers products that would match you know, those needs. Um, by way of an example, at Mark's, we have online savings calculators where consumers can see how their savings accounts will stack up against you know, other banks. But I think, Matt, the most important thing is, We're building at Marcus the digital bank of the future. So we obsess over what's best for customers, and that's how we believe we're going to continue to attract more customers. And the market is very big. Um, So we zoom out for a moment and you take a look at, you know, the size of this market. um, Just on the consumer side alone for deposits, it's four trillion dollars. And I understand that that's a four with, you know, way too many zeros, right? (laughs) But about north of half of that, it's still with brick and mortar banks. And what that means is that for the majority of those dollars, which belong to the majority of our U.S. consumers, they're earning rates on savings that start with a zero, as opposed to being able to earn a savings rate with an online bank, ours specifically at Marcus, we offer 1.7%. So there is enough room here uh, to grow, obviously. And uh, the biggest enemy here is inertia. It's not that there's more entrants or less entrants or more banks or fewer banks. It's the uh, inertia. Because clearly, over half of the dollars nationwide uh, are sitting in very, very low interest rate accounts, and uh, information, education, and taking action is incredibly important.
1: So, two trillion dollars is a pretty big addressable market. I definitely say there's you know a nice slice of the pie for everybody, and hopefully, I mean, Marcus should be successful getting more than most. I would think. Um, so kind of just switching gears to kind of the broader picture um, Goldman Sachs in general has been moving to a more consumer focused banking model not just being you know the Bank of Wall Street anymore which is kind of where Marcus was born um, so uh, your CEO David Solomon sounds very optimistic about the potential for Goldman's consumer banking side do you could you see Marcus eventually being you know a big player in consumer banking in the sense that a you know a a Bank of America, Wells Fargo. It like kind of mentioned along with those names.
2: We we're building a leading digital consumer bank. Um, we're addressing the saving, spending, and uh, borrowing needs of uh, millions of consumers, and uh, very importantly, we are starting um, from a clean slate. So. We don't have a dated or aged infrastructure. Um, We don't have uh, operating models that would need to be changed. Uh, We're not shackled by an expensive branch network. Uh, So, all those things mean that we can move very quickly, that we can satisfy customer needs very effectively, and that we can be highly competitive. So, if you go back just a few years, we started with a no-fee, fixed-rate, unsecured personal loan. We moved into deposits, and uh, we started offering a high-yield online savings account, certificates of deposits in various terms. We've been launching new products and services, like a no-penalty CD, which in an environment where interest rates are decreasing is a great option because consumers can lock in the rate of today and um, have full access to their money if they need to without paying any penalty. That's seven days after the initial deposit. And throughout the life of the CV, the money can be accessed. We also offer our CD maturity center where our customers can actually change the renewal terms of their CV you know, throughout the term of the CV. Just to give you a couple of examples, we have an app that was recently uh, launched, and uh, as you uh, mentioned, we're going to be launching Checking. So, I think all of these things will uh, propel our growth and uh, will enable us to develop deeper and even more meaningful relationships with customers. So we're we're very excited about the future and we're only, only in the early innings
1: right now. Well, as a, a fan of Marcus, I'm excited to see where it goes from here. Just um, one one last question. Um, we like to this is not a financial note, but we like to end all of our podcasts on interviews on this note. Um, a lot of our listeners are avid readers. So do you have a book that you would recommend to our readers that they could learn more about one of your favorite topics?
2: Yes. Well, I have um, a number of different things. Uh, I have more than one favorite topic, but something that's originally made to the conversation that we had, and specifically about savings. I'm always very fascinated about how we, as human beings, go about making decisions and how many a times decisions are made um, emotionally and not necessarily rationally. And uh, I've been, um, you know, reading a lot about that topic over the years and studying that topic over the years because it's related to uh, the business that I'm in. Um, there's a book by Richard uh, Richard Thaler, which is called Misbehaving. That I found it very, very, very interesting. It's about the making of behavioral economics, Matt. And I'm not sure if um, your listeners or you're familiar with the topic, which is the uh, is really the fusion of economics and psychology. And uh, the book has many fascinating examples about, you know, how human beings, you know, act and make, you know, everyday choices. And that has, um, you know, a lot of bearing, a lot of importance into how we make financial choices specifically. Uh, So it's a very, very entertaining book um, that I would recommend.
1: All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Marcus Rosenberg. Thank you so much for joining us on our Industry focused podcast. And we hope to talk to you again soon.
2: Thanks for having me, Matt. Thank you.
0: Okay, that's going to do it for us this week, folks. Remember, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at MFIndustryFocus, or drop us an email at industryfocus@fool.com. Reach out and let us know how you're doing. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass this week. For Matt Frankel, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.